Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking with Bungie. I am Rich Wilson. I'm recording this on Sunday. I never know the date. When I set up these things, I should look at the date first because I'm always going to say what the date is. I'm recording this on Sunday, February 9th, 2020, just to give you an idea how relevant it is, if at all. And I hope you're liking these podcasts. I'm having a lot of fun putting them together on a weekly basis. I can put a few of them together, build up a nice catalog on deathbybungie.com where you can go and listen to the podcast. Or, of course, the preferred way to listen to the podcast is through your podcasting app of choice. Go and download one of those free apps, download these free episodes. It'll automatically update for you. You can play around with the settings. You can listen to them on a faster speed if you choose to do that. Um, there's all kinds of options. There's just no end to the options. So check out one of those apps. Like I'm fond of saying, if you're listening to podcasts on the website, you are doing it wrong. <laughs> I hope that's not offensive to anybody. It's just a fact. It's a lot easier to listen to these on your phone. You can listen to them with earbuds, listen to them to your car stereo. That's what I do. A lot of fun. The topic for this week's podcast, for the one I'm going to record right now anyway, is whether hunting is a dying sport. Now, I posted this on our Death by a Punchy Facebook page at some point. I had posted an article from the Washington Post where the Washington Post put out an article stating hunting is slowly dying off and that has created a crisis for the nation's public lands. That is available on the website. I'll try to link to that Washington Post article in the show notes for this podcast. So if you do want to read that article in its entirety, you can go to the podcast notes here, find the link there and click on it. It should load it right there on your phone or you can go to the website and find it in the show notes there. I'll try and include that so people can see it later on down the road. The general gist of the article is that hunting is dying off, as it indicates, and it's creating a crisis for the nation's public lands in that a lot of the funding for public lands, a lot of funding for wildlife support is based on hunting license sales. As fewer and fewer people purchase hunting licenses, naturally, you're going to see a decline in the amount of money that's available in order to fund these wildlife programs. So that's a concern amongst a lot of people. Now, I'm concerned that my opportunity can diminish. And that, that's something that I think all hunters are concerned about when we talk about hunting dying off. If there are more people involved in hunting, then we want to make that will give a greater likelihood that down the road there's more people voting in favor of hunting. And that means that our opportunities will not be threatened. If hunting numbers, hunter numbers decline enough, then we might get to the point where just not enough people are going out there in the woods. And the end result could be that those wild lands get used for other purposes and that our options dwindle. So we don't want to see that happen. Now, the article goes through, it's interesting, an article talks about Pennsylvania in here and hunting license sales and talks about Wisconsin as well. And I did a little research of my own and I can tell you that in 2008, this is right off the Pennsylvania Game Commission website, just to give you an idea what we're dealing with here. Pennsylvania, I think, so, in, there, every state has its unique hunting issues that are facing different states. Pennsylvania is sort of located in, north, in the northeastern United States. So we attract hunters from New York, New Jersey, from Maryland. We attract hunters from other states to come here just because of our geographic location. And that goes for not just deer, but bear. Now, certainly that's the case for deer, but uh, we also attract them for other species as well. In Pennsylvania, 2008, the total general hunting license sales, 926,000. 
892. So that's just shy of a million licenses sold. By 2018, 10 years later, that number had dropped to 855,486. And this is, again, according to the Pennsylvania Game Commission website. Now, there's a couple ways you can look at this. That's a drop of less than 100,000 out of nearly a million. That's maybe 8 9%, something like that. I could do the math. But the point is that it's 75,000, drop 75,000, something like that. That's not as bad as it could be, right? I mean, we could be looking at a 500,000 number of hunters or something like license sales. But the problem is any drop is a drop. And it puts the Game Commission, who funds wildlife programs primarily from licensed sales, in a little bit of a predicament. I mean, think about this. They are faced with the unpopular idea of raising hunting licenses, sales, prices, in order to make up the difference, versus inspiring more hunters. The Game Commission's in a little bit of a pickle here, because if they try to raise license fees, costs, prices, in order to make up the difference, the public goes nuts. Now, in all fairness, the cost of a Pennsylvania hunting license is not that high. It's like 26 bucks, and you can go out there and shoot a buck. Very rarely uh, can you purchase a license that cheap nationwide. There's, there's almost no place where a resident can buy a license that cheaply and go shoot the primary, the premier game animal in that state. So hats off to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, for keeping those license costs down as much as they have. Then I can add a doe for $6.90. I can shoot a buck and a doe for like 32 bucks, $33. That's pretty cheap, really. Now you want to add and I, I like the a la carte system. And I've said this before. I'm frustrated with the Pennsylvania Game Commission on some issues and on plenty of other issues, plenty of other issues. I applaud them. And keeping these costs down and the a la carte system, I kind of like now as a crossbow hunter, I don't even care about that $32, $33. That just gets me the right to hunt, but I have to buy the archery credentials, the archery stamp so that I can go out there and hunt with a with archery. It's not really a stamp. It's not a trout stamp, but it's a similar concept. I have to buy an extra tag to get that permission to go out there and hunt with a crossbow. So I do that, and that's just the archery permission. That's all I'm purchasing. Not a problem. Go out there, and I pay extra for that, but people who don't want that don't have to pay extra for it. And if I want to trap a fisher, I pay extra to trap a fisher. If I want to trap um, a, or shoot a bobcat or trap bobcats, and I have to pay extra for a bobcat. Some years I buy that, some years I don't. Depends on what my plans are. And if I want to hunt bears, which I always buy a bear stamp because there's an overlap in the season, but I always buy those bear credentials just in case a bear comes by. But if I don't want to shoot a bear, I don't have to pay for it. And I really like a la carte systems. I don't feel like I should have to fund everybody else out there doing whatever kind of hunting they do. I can just pay for the kind of hunting that I want to do. So based on these numbers, initially, when I looked at these numbers, decline in hunting numbers, funding wildlife programs, I can see reasonably a way that the Game Commission can make up that shortfall by raising license fees. You add a dollar to the general hunting license, you add a dollar to the doe permit, which has been $6.90 as long as back as I can remember, and then you can add a dollar here, a dollar there, as long as they're good stewards of that money and they are making the correct proper usage of that money that is entrusted to them, then I don't have a problem with that. Pennsylvania also has been buying more land and adding to 
the lands that it controls for state game lands. This is kind of an interesting issue for me. Previous to now, up until now, I haven't spent a lot of time on state game lands. Done a little bit of spring gobbler here and there, which I always like because then you can, you know, there's more birds in different areas and you can kind of move around and set up in different spots and that sort of thing and go to where you think a bird might be. And it gives you more options. And if you're hunting on a small property, like I grew up on, it's a little bit harder to hunt spring gobbler because if the gobblers did not roost near that property the night before, uh, it's not likely they're going to show up on that property that morning, that following morning. So it makes it a little tougher. So I, I, I've experimented with state game lands before, but never hunted a different species, just a spring gobbler on state game lands. This year, hopefully it'll be a little bit different. We'll see how that goes. But in doing so, I've really gotten a new appreciation for the way that the Game Commission has managed those lands. I think they could clear cut a lot more and create a lot thicker habitat for deer, maybe have more browse, that sort of thing. But they certainly have managed the timber properly in preserving mast producing trees. I've commented on that in a blog that I did for the YouTube channel. You should check out. It's a lot of fun. It'll give you a visual depiction of that. But I've also commented on these podcasts before as well. So I do have a lot of pride in my Pennsylvania Game Commission for accomplishing this. And they're adding to the game lands all the time with new purchases. Pennsylvania has a wealth of public land. So there's lots and lots of options for folks. I would go the rest of my life and never be bored exploring state game lands. That's a fact. Now, whether I can produce on those state game lands, whether they are going to produce for me and produce for Bungie, that might be a different question. Now, where does this money go? This is one of the things that the article points out. For example, and this is where it starts talking about Wisconsin. And it says in Wisconsin, a $4 million to $6 million annual deficit. This is a shortfall from what they've intended to spend on wildlife management and protecting wildlife species and maybe getting rid of invasive species, that sort of thing. But that money that was spent on that, they're four to $6 million short based on license sales, right? The amount of money that they're co that's coming in that isn't there. They don't have enough money to fund all the programs that they need to fund. It's interesting to me that at the same time they're struggling with that, they're putting on the ballot in Wisconsin anti-crossbow measures. What's up with that? Now that doesn't make any sense. You're short on money. So rather than sell more people, such as crossbow hunters, more permission, more hunting licenses, crossbow stamps, crossbow permissions, whatever you want to call them. Instead of selling them that and charging them for that, having an income, you're trying to chase or you're just suggesting. I'm not saying that they're trying to chase. I don't think that the Wisconsin Department of National Resources has decided to get rid of crossbow hunters or is thinking about doing that. They were really just opening it up for public comment. I get that. So I don't want to accuse them of having an agenda here that is anti-crossbow. But why would you even consider such a decision when that's only going to make you more money? More people in the woods equates to more hunting licenses sold. And therefore, you're going to make more money. I don't understand why they would even entertain the idea of dialing back the number of people who are in the woods. Are they afraid that the compound bow hunters are going to say, well, I don't want to hunt anymore because of the crossbow hunters? I doubt it. If they think that's the reason hunting license sales are down, then they are really putting their focus in the wrong direction. That's my opinion. The article does go on to say that many states are devising ways to reinvigorate hunting culture and expand the sport's appeal to women, 
minorities, and the growing number of locavores, which are, I guess, defined as people who seek locally sourced food. I'm all for that. I, In my household, I haven't bought a lot of beef over the last 10 years since I've been hunting with a crossbow. The amount of beef that we have bought has gone down, down, down. In fact, pork is in that category as well. We still buy a lot of chicken, but because uh, I don't hunt anything that would fill a freezer that would equate to chicken, for example, but, and I don't fish uh, as much as I used to, so I don't have that as a source of food. But I can tell you that beef, um, occasionally I will buy beef for a recipe, but last time I did that, I was just shocked at the price of beef. Now, pork as well, we've gone to our meet and greet last year and I have a freezer, still have some pork left, a couple of roasts, that sort of thing, and some ground pork that I got as part of that meet and greet that we did. For those of you who are not familiar with the meet and greet, that is spelled M-E-A-T, meet and greet, and essentially it's just a time where we all got together and shot our crossbows and went on a preserve hunt for wild boars, and I brought home really uh, probably 80, 90 pounds of uh, of wild sourced pork, right? And for the freezer and it worked out great. So we had a great time. But so keep an eye out for that if you're interested in that. There may be future uh, opportunities like that. Meet and greets coming up on Death by Bungie. But when we talk about, so I'm all for this locally sourced food. I'm all for hunting for your food and filling your freezer with meat that you know the source of the meat and where it has been, how it was processed. That's very important to me. Very important to friends of Bungie. I know that. But I want to point out too, that why would a state consider dialing back crossbow freedom? Why would a state like New York consider not even increasing crossbow freedom, crossbow equality? Why would they do that if license sales are struggling, if hunting numbers are declining? Why would you consider doing that? How are you gonna encourage more people to be engaged in hunting? Is it the rifle? Is that gonna encourage more people Let's say you're trying to entice somebody into the hunting lifestyle. You want them to become a new hunter and they have no experience with any kind of weapon. Never shot a compound bow, never shot a crossbow, never shot a rifle. Let's think of the various ways we can entice them into this beautiful lifestyle into taking part in something that is uniquely human and that is hunting, killing animals for food. How do we entice them in here? What's, what's gonna be the most attractive to somebody in today's modern world to get them to take part in this? We can start with a rifle. We could put them out there in a time of the season when it's colder, gunshots going off all over the place. Maybe they're a little nervous because of all the gunshots. They take their own rifle out there, a rifle you've loaned them, and they're carrying this big old cold slab of metal around in the woods. And then when a deer comes out, they get the opportunity to hold that big piece of metal up in the air, pull the trigger, and allow a big explosion to take place inches from their eyeball that is going to make their ears ring and damage their hearing in the hopes of obliterating a large portion of the meat that they're trying to take home. Is that the type of experience that's going to sell people on hunting? Or is that going to push some people away? Conversely, we can go to the compound bow and we can tell them, hey, take this compound bow. We're going to go out there. This is a totally legitimate hunting weapon. We're going to go out there in the woods, and but before you do it, you've got to spend weeks and weeks and weeks practicing in the backyard. You cannot go out there and hunt with it unless you've done that because you're doing yourself a disservice and a disservice to the animal. 
So you have to go out there. In order to be effective, you'll need to spend, you know, 100 hours or so in the backyard. You'll have to shoot hundreds of arrows, dozens per day, day after day after day, in order to get the muscle memory from different angles. And then you'll have to track practice sometimes from a tree stand, sometimes from the ground. Now, say goodbye to your family for a little bit of period of time here because this requires a lot of time away from them. Sure, you can have them watch you and all that kind of stuff, and they can be in the backyard while you're doing it, but you need to focus on this. And you're not going to be able to watch as much Netflix as you normally would, okay? So that's what's going to happen. Is that going to entice people to get into the hunting lifestyle? Because that sounds like a second job. It sounds like a second job that is totally appropriate and perfect for some people who want to do that. But it does not sound like something that's enticing to most people. Conversely, we could have the crossbow. It's not a rifle, it's not a compound bow. And you can go out there and in a few hours be totally proficient with that weapon. I can explain to someone in a few hours and make them ready to hunt with a crossbow. I can explain that weapon in that short period of time. And it doesn't explode. There's no fire coming off the end of it, hopefully. <laughs> but as long as you're using it correctly, you can totally kill a deer, preserve all of the meat, practically all of it for you and for your freezer, and have a beautiful hunting experience in any weather in most states, early season, late season, mid season, whatever. The crossbow is so powerful for bringing new people into this hunting lifestyle that I don't get why it's even a question in Wisconsin about turning people away. Why is that even a question? In New York, why is it even a question about whether we would allow people to use crossbows throughout the entire season? Why do they have to buy a muzzleloader stamp? It's not a muzzleloader. Only a government would try to tell you that a crossbow is a muzzleloader. <laughs> Nobody else in the world makes such an ignorant mistake. I don't think this discussion about hunters, hunter numbers dying is limited to bringing in new hunters either. I don't think that a discussion about keeping hunter numbers up is complete without a discussion about how to keep existing hunters happy. Existing hunters are the ones who are going to recruit new hunters. That's how it worked in my family. I hunt because my uncles, my cousins, my, my grandfather, my father took me out in the woods. That's why I hunt. That's why I'm interested in this. If I didn't grow up in that, very likely I wouldn't be interested in it. There's some exceptions, but that's how this starts. And it is much more likely to continue to get people interested in this if they know someone who's interested in it, keep existing hunters happy and you will greatly increase the likelihood that more people will come into this. How do you keep existing hunters happy? First of all, you don't go threatening their opportunity to go in the woods. Keep existing hunters happy. Do you do that by catering to a dwindling number of compound bow hunters? Do you do that by catering to them and getting rid of other people in the woods so that they feel as though they're getting their, their I'm using air quotes here, their woods back? Or do you continue to keep the existing and growing number of crossbow hunters happy? That's the end of this podcast, which is really part one of this discussion about 
decreasing hunter numbers about whether hunting is a dying sport or a dying activity. I'm going to do another one. There's going to be a part two. I'm going to record that next. So make sure you stay tuned. And until that next episode comes out, until you listen to it, remember, all hail Bungie. Bungie. <laughs>